perhaps you're staring at your brokerage account or your cryptocurrency or maybe even your 401k and you see that the numbers are dwindling from where they were just a year ago and you start to wonder will i ever be able to retire with inflation rising just in the last month of june 9.1 we now sit here in august wondering has inflation continued to rise at record growth most jobs only offer a two percent increase for cost of living measures so what happens when 9.1 percent becomes the norm eventually you're going to be forced with thinking about can i afford to purchase this amount of food for my family what do i need to cut back on what type of budget do i need to have difficult decisions are going to be made today we're going to sit down with a financial advisor to be able to talk about what should we be planning for? How should we help ourselves weather through the coming recession or the recession that's already here? Sit back, relax, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into because you're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Bold Americans, welcome back to another episode of America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Over the past few episodes, I've been highlighting the recession and the talk of the economic pain that people have been feeling since May, whether it's going to the pump and putting gas in your car or it's going to the grocery store and trying to purchase your groceries. It seems that the dollar is not going quite as far. So I wanted to reach out and try to find somebody that could help my listeners plan for the recession, plan for the future, what to do when you're on a uh, limited resource of income from your job. So today I have for you the president of Blue Rock Financial Group, Todd Roselle. Todd is the president and founder of Blue Rock Financial Group. He has a fee-based financial planning practice that focuses on assisting individuals and business owners to make educated decisions on an ongoing basis. He's been doing this since 2005. So I want to welcome right now Todd Roselle to the show. Todd, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, Greg, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. And I couldn't agree with you more. The topic is extremely timely. Uh, I have to wonder, you know, you, you probably deal with people that uh, have tons of money and people that don't have a ton of money, but your goal is always to make people uh, profitable in their investments, I'm sure. What are people calling you up, asking you as the number one question right now? What are you hearing from clients about how to protect portfolios? What, what's the concern? Yeah. So I'm going to take a step back before we take a step forward. So in my practice, what we do is we really look at the holistic situation of a client. So that includes what's coming in, what's going out. It includes what they're spending. One of the you know, smallest items that is extremely important is what goes out every day. And we, we don't really focus on that. We focus uh, a lot of times on how much we make or how much we're making in our investments. And a lot of times, if you can turn that faucet off or down, it does miracles for someone's financial situation. So, you know, we look at what are their risks that they have? What are their, you know, tax challenges that they're facing every year, whether it's income-based, whether it's investment-based. Um, retirement planning is a big one. So, you know, what happens when we're unemployed? It's, for many cases, uh, it's the first time that a client's been unemployed in 40 years and all of a sudden, you know, things happen around them that they may not, you know, be very comfortable with and emotions kick in. So 
Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to balance uh, when it comes to financial planning. And the investment side is a big one. Because for a lot of folks, that's the bridge that's going to get them from the working years to, you know, for what we call it, the rainbow uh, or the grave, because we've got a lot of time, hopefully, between the time that we stop working and the time that we don't need money anymore. So, um, but, you know, what can we focus on? What can we be doing? It's really tough because we really can't do a whole lot once things start to go in a certain direction. So most of the due diligence that needs to be done is beforehand. You know, are we allocated appropriately on the investment side for who you are and where you are in your life and in your situation? Um, you know, of course, there are some things that can be done. Always make sure that a portfolio uh, that you have, whether it's a retirement portfolio, an investment portfolio, whatever the case may be, make sure it's rebalanced back toward whatever your investment target is. So for those that may not know what rebalancing is, um, imagine that you start off with a 50-50 stock to bond portfolio when you're 35 years old and you don't touch it. You don't do anything with it. <clears throat> well, we know that bonds historically will outperform, I'm sorry, stocks will historically will outperform bonds. Therefore, if we don't do anything for 20 years, chances are we're going to look up and look at our portfolio and it's probably going to be 80% stock and 20% bond just because the stock portion grew more than the bond portion. So what rebalancing does is it consistently allows you to sell your gains and buy your losses on an ongoing basis to ensure that you go back to where you intend to be allocated, which was that 50-50 portfolio. Um, and again, obviously, that's a, an oversimplified uh, you know, explanation, but this holds very true uh, for, for folks, because if you got to the point where you put money in a portfolio and you wanted it to be 50-50... And now all of a sudden, before the market takes a downturn, you're 80-20, your risk is well overexposed. And now you're subject to greater than intended losses because of that lack of rebalancing over time. So again, even as we're going through this, it's important to make sure that, that we continue to rebalance. So that's on the portfolio side. Okay. So before we even get into, you know, somebody's already started to make these investments, let's, let's start the conversation off as somebody's ill-prepared. Somebody has not yeah. had somebody like yourself to make investments. Uh, let's look at the average American, right? Mm -hmm. I think a report just came out that almost 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck right now. Uh, yeah. It's at an all-time high. So if an individual has not made the proper investments, they don't have a plan for when there's economic hardships what are some simplistic steps that somebody can take immediately to start providing better for their family and not worrying as much as about what groceries are costing and paying all the rest of their bills? What are some simple things people want to look at from debt ratios and, and, and that? I mean, if you boil it down to something that everybody understands, it's actually dual budget. Um, it's, a, it's a dirty word in the financial industry just simply because it takes work, right? Just like diet and exercise, it takes work. Um, but if you go back to the drawing board and you really take a look at, at what does work, budgeting works. You shine a light on a problem and it tends to go away. Um, now, granted, there are some things that are happening which people don't have control over. Um, but nonetheless, if we can cut corners here or there or maybe go out to eat you know, one or two times less per month, um, these are ways that we can actually really save a fair amount of money. Um, you know, If we're spending money on what we like to call... Um, frivolous things or, <laughs> or variable expenses, um, it'll show up really quick when you do a budget. So you know, that's the, the quickest and easiest thing to do, but it takes time. Go back and look at your last three months because no, no month is going to be exactly like the one prior. 
So always go back and look, you know, were there, were there a lot of gifts that month? Was it, was there travel that month? Was there a lot of dining out entertainment? You know, where can we really cut down moving forward? Can't change what we've done, but cut down moving forward would be the place to start. And so once somebody's made those cuts and they look at their uh, finances and they go, oh man, we are still in a lot of trouble because mm-hmm. we've accumulated debt. Um, what are some extra practical parts once you do your budget? Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. We don't, we don't do a lot on the planning side as it relates to um, kind of digging out of a hole, so to speak. More mm-hmm. of it is, is planning with excess. Um, however, that being said, uh, you know, if there's any interest rates that can be refinanced to a lower rate, which would be very, very difficult in this environment, because more than likely folks have these interest rates that are um, set from a time period when rates were lower. So that might be pretty difficult. Um, the other thing is whenever we look at retirement, we look at there's the three characteristics, you know, spend less, make more, or work longer. You know, those are kind of the three level levers that we can pull when it comes to retirement. And if you apply that to someone's day to day, you know, it might even be picking up a second job. I mean, that that would help. Um, but again, none of the answers for someone who is ill-prepared are extremely comfortable. They're just not. So it sounds like to me, as we approach recession, that my fear is pretty much accurate, that the people that are not prepared are in for some pain. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would say that that is correct. And, you know, planning, financial planning at its core is exactly that. Um, it's planning for, you know, the uncertainty of what could be happening. It's also in in an ideal scenario, planning for, you know, the good that comes along with the future. So, you know, if we're ill-prepared as we go in, it's going to be a challenge um, for those that aren't aren't ready. What type of, uh, what's the most common thing one of your clients would call with as far as advice right now? What are they looking for? Yeah, so we work with a number of individuals who are, you know, either very successful, they, they may have tax problems because they're paying too much in tax. We work with business owners. So the, the stretch that we're going through right now is that it's hard to find good employees. Uh, it's hard to find good team members that stick with you and are loyal and, and are, are good at their job and motivated. So, you know, there are some challenges that are there. Um, some other challenges for these business owners is they're coming off of a time uh, where we went through, you know, the pandemic and many may have received the PPP uh, Paycheck Protection Act um, stimulus and it infused some capital into their business. So they were able to make advances. Um, some, of, some of these businesses grew um, very nicely even through the pandemic, but now we're hitting this interesting time when you know, the growth may either be slowing down or continuing depending on the business. And it's really tough to just maintain what they've done. So you, a lot of times in business, you hit this growth period and then you've kind of got to fix the problems that were created during that growth phase that you were in. Um, and whether that's offering benefits for for people to stay, whether it's for training to get them moved to the next level, there's a whole host of different um, things that we're working on in in that arena for those you know, that are still working. Um, for those that are either approaching the end of their career or who have pulled the plug um, and are now in their golden years, um, it's a lot of emotional control. So they see their their you know life savings in some cases go down. Um, and it's it's walking them back to help them understand, hey, you know what? We had a plan and we were ready for this and you are still ready. Even though the number isn't the highest number that it ever has been on your statement, um, 
it's still sufficient to get you from point A to point B. So, you know, there's a few analogies that, that I've kind of helped people um, with to really understand, you know, what does it mean? And um, I pick on my dad a little bit because my dad says, Todd, my account was here and now it's here. And I'm like, what's in your checking account and are you okay? And the answer is yes. Everything that's in my checking account is good. I'm good. I can live the life I want to live. Um, and when we compare our investments, that's typically what we do. We take the highest value we've ever seen and then compare it to wherever it is today, which is, you know, if we're having that conversation, more than likely lower. Um, however, we have a different kind of view on real estate. You know, when people buy a home or a piece of real estate, they say, hey, I bought that piece of real estate for $250,000 and now it's worth, you know, $500,000. Um, and when we think of it that way, we don't always take into account the fact that we paid a mortgage. We paid, you know, transfer tax when we purchased the home. We put, you know, a bunch of improvements inside that home as well. Um, and if we kind of get a chance to really flip our thinking, if you take what you've put into whatever it is, investment, real estate, anything, you put in X and now you're at Y. If Y is more, then that's a good thing. Um, if Y is less, then it could, it may or may not be a good thing. Obviously with real estate, there's there's many meanings and, and uses for real estate. Some is just that people like to sleep inside. So that's always a good thing. Um, but for other people, we use it for you know investment purposes and whatnot. But sometimes it's really just you know framing and shaping what we've used our money for and, and where it is and what it is today. So so historically speaking, with where people are, you know, we've never seen home prices skyrocket without falling. But all the economists seem to be saying these home prices are here to stay. They're not yeah. coming back down, which is encouraging if you're a homeowner already. If right. you're not a homeowner, that can be a little bit more daunting coming out maybe from college with debt. Maybe you've been living with mom and dad waiting to get your home. And now you see all these costs and inflation and everything going up. What is... Uh, what is the top, I guess, commodity that people should be investing in, in 2022? What's the most recession-proof investment somebody can make? Yeah, Greg, it's interesting. So, you know, again, when we look at things, you know, from the perspective of what should I be doing, we always like to tie it back to a goal. Um, and, you know, if that goal, for example, is to buy a home for someone who is coming out of college and, and saving and scraping to be able to put a down payment down. Um, the investment that they should be putting their money into is cash because they're going to have the same amount, if not more, because they've saved it when they go to actually spend it. And that timeline for that person is likely very short. When we look beyond that, we start to look for maybe folks like you and I who are thinking, okay, you know what, maybe I want to buy a second home or maybe I want to you know, save for retirement outside of just my 401k or whatever my employer-sponsored retirement plan is. Um, we then start to look and see, okay, well, do we want to take a chance or do we want to create predictability? In my financial planning world, I like predictability. Uh, the fewer variables, the better. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of conversations. Well, I should say I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people who wanted to talk about crypto and wanted to talk about Tesla and these things that were, um, you know, doing very well in 2021. For some reason, I haven't really had many of those conversations lately. And no one's really asking anymore um, because the amount of risk that, some of those folks took on in the in the price that they paid. It may be temporary pain. It may be long term pain. We don't know yet. Um, but you know, it's really you got to put the goal with the answer in, in our minds on the financial planning side, so that you know you have a good understanding of what to expect when you get to wherever 
you know, that goal is five years out, 10 years out, 15, whatever the case may be. Um, so, you know, balance is almost always our answer. You know, we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket, whether that's all in the stock market or all in the bond market or all in real estate. Um, being diversified and, you know, understanding that you're going to see ebbs and flows in every market is extremely important. Real estate market being, you know, something that we've seen most recently, the double digit increases we've seen in 2020 and 2021. Um, we didn't see those for 10 years. We, we saw single digit increases. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the market, the, the lack of growth since 2008 caught up and it just happened to show up in 2020 and 21 by, by way of the pandemic. Advice that I received a long time ago was always pay yourself first when you get your paycheck. Uh, and by paying yourself, you know, somebody used church as an example, like tithing, the, the, the Bible had stated, take 10% of everything that you uh, own and pay to the church. But somebody once said, do that for yourself. Take $1 out of every 10 that you've earned and yep. always pay yourself in the savings. Is that a pretty good principle to start with? Tremendous, tremendous. So um, there's a book out there, The Millionaire Next Door, and the premise behind it is treating yourself as a bill uh, and paying yourself first. So, um, you know, I have two daughters. They will be uh, 18 and 15 this month, and we set up uh, bank accounts for them uh, when they were, I think they were probably 10 and 7. And, you know, kids get cash. They just do. And, you know, whether it's grandparents, whether it's birthdays, you know, whatever it is, they end up with cash. And it's like, hey, dad, look, I have a hundred dollars. And I'm like, give me that money right now. You only get to keep half. Um, and at first it's extremely painful. Uh, and then finally it's like, okay, well, you turn around and they're getting ready to, I don't know, drive or like the other one, go to college. And they've got a savings account now or, or a checking account that's got a fair amount of money in it. That would have never been there had we not done exactly that. Um, so forming those good habits very early is extremely important, but you're, you're exactly right. Paying yourself first is, again, a very basic concept that works extremely well. Excellent. Well, Todd, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We got to take a break for our sponsors. Everybody, you're listening to Todd Roselle. He's president founder of Blue Rock Financial Group, giving us a little advice on how to deal with this recession and what planning looks like. We'll be right back after the break on America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. 
code OUTLOUD for 20% off. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Welcome back, Bold Americans, to America and Bolden with Greg Bolden. We've been talking with Todd Roselle from Blue Rock Financial Group. And we've been talking about the, the recession, inflation, how difficult it is for people right now. And Todd painted a picture that sounds like if you haven't been planning already, you may be in for a little bit of pain. But what should you do? You know, at what point of your life uh, should you start saving? At what point should you start considering, hey, you know what? I should stick out this job because I'm close to retirement. Uh, what is the plan of action for economics, depending on your age and life. So Todd, if you could maybe take us through, like somebody comes out of college, what should their financial focus be versus somebody nearing retirement? Yeah. I mean, we had touched on this a little bit before, uh, Greg, when we were talking about, you know, the frame, the framing that people have when they think about money. Um, there's two things that we do every day that we have little to no education, formal education on, and that is nutrition and food. We eat every day, but we don't always know what we're putting in our bodies. Um, and we spend money every day. And we don't always know what to do when we have more money than we need. Um, it sounds like a great problem, and, and I see it all the time. But all of a sudden, you you start to age, and you're in your 20s, and you're trying to survive. You're in your 30s. You're you know, making sure that your kids stay alive. And then in your 40s, your kids go off to school. And now all of a sudden, you, know, you may be an empty nester or start to, start to taste that empty nest. Um, and then into your 50s, it's kind of where it normally happens. And uh, that's when we find ourselves having a little bit of a surplus in, uh, you know, maybe our 40s and 50s. We're, we're uh, moving up in our careers and, and we see that there's a little bit more left over at the end of the month than there used to be. And, you know, really what we need to start to look at is both our short term and our long term. That's typically where we start. You know, do we have enough in the way of an emergency reserve fund if something happens that's outside of our control to where we don't have to go to credit cards? Um, and then beyond that, what's going on in retirement? Have we started to save? Um, are we saving enough? Do we have a pension? I mean, the pension numbers these days are down. I think it's five or 8% of people even have access to a pension. So that number continues to dwindle as well. Um, so when we think about it, once we've got that emergency fund established and we've got you know a fair amount of savings, then looking ahead to retirement, um, you are able to save as a participant in a 401k plan, 403b plan, 457 plan, as much as $20,500 per year. Um, if you are 50 or older, you can save an additional $6,500. So, you know, 25 is uh, when you can have a rental car and you don't have to have mom and dad sign for it. There's, there's more benchmarks down the road, 50. Um, you get to put extra money into, into your retirement account. Super exciting. Um, so, you know, that's something to uh, to consider uh, as you start to look at where to put your extra money. And then beyond that, we start to look between cash 
and retirement. So that's where we start to look at investing in a regular old investment account, um, also called a brokerage account. Um, but this is where you take money that you don't need um, and you start to put it to work for yourself in an account that is accessible. You can get to it if you absolutely have to. Um, and the taxation in that realm is a little bit, little bit different too. You tend to pay capital gains, um, whereas when your money comes out for retirement, it's taxed like when you're earning, you're paying income taxes on all those funds. So the tax piece as we age becomes um, more and more um, real. And we start to see what we're not getting to take home as we continue to earn more. Um, and those are a lot of planning opportunities as we age between, you know, I would say even 40 to 40 to 70. There's, there's lots of opportunities um, with tax planning. I want to go back to the pension part. There's many employees throughout the United States that are teachers, police officers, a lot in the service type fields that are relying on pensions. They don't make enough to invest into a 401k. Yep. Uh, they don't have a lot of options. Pensions, are they safe? Are they secure? Uh, what should a yeah. teacher, what should a police officer, what should some of these individuals be focused on as far as their savings when we see volatility in the pension market? That's a, that's a great question. And um, you know, there's, there's a philosophy that we have here at Blue Rock when we think about pensions. Um, for one, they're they are, for the most part, pretty stable. Um, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, the PBGC, um, backs pensions and also does testing on them to make sure that they are funded at adequate levels. So back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, those who had pensions may have started to get notices that their pension wasn't fully funded. Um, and what that means is as the, as the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation did testing on corporate pensions, they realized that the corporations weren't funding them enough. Um, and you know the, the participants were notified that there were problems. Um, are they completely secure? I mean, they're about as secure as you can get. Will they fail? Could they fail? Absolutely. Anything can. Um, but for the most part, you know, when you're talking about having a state pension or for you know, firefighters, police officers, and, and teachers, they're, they're in a pretty good spot. You know, they get paid a little bit less to have that, um, that pension down the road when they retire. Something else to consider um, on the pension side, you know, if we think of this from a risk profile, you know, as we age, we, we know that we should, or I should say, the mantra is that we should consider to become more conservative. Uh, there's, uh, I, we can do a whole other episode about that as it relates to whether or not that makes sense or, or whether that's real um, and how it changes as time goes on. But um, one of the things to consider is that, you know, if you have a pension, you essentially are receiving fixed income. It's kind of like a bond holding. You're getting an annuity payment from that pension, which could allow your investments to be a little bit riskier or a little bit more stock-based. So, you know, now we're starting to get into the underpinnings of how to invest or things to consider. Um, but that's a big one that, you know, when we have folks that have pensions, we really want to educate them as to, you know, hey, you can take on a little bit more risk because you've got money coming through the door. You've got mailbox money that many people don't have. Okay. So hearing what you're saying about pensions, I, I think one thing to clarify is one of the groups that was really impacted by pensions being lost was the Catholic church employees. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this, that when you file for bankruptcy as an organization, the pension goes with it. Uh, so I would say that's one risk factor you want to pay attention to within your jobs. Could where you're working in any way, shape or form go belly up? Could it go bankrupt if they have a pension? We look at DuPont when DuPont went belly up, 
all the pensioners uh, that were just at the beginning of their careers lost all that opportunity. So having those other plans, as you mentioned, uh, is really vital. It's really important to protect yourself. Now, how about somebody who uh, say they've been a police officer for 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. They're not fully vested into the pension process. They're thinking about changing their career, thinking about something down the road. Uh, what would be the best age where you should say, you know what, I'm going to stick this out versus uh, I should still be open to looking at new jobs. Uh, is there an age that people should stop looking for that type of growth? So it's all an opportunity cost calculation, Greg. So if you think about this, you have folks, um, I actually just had a conversation this past weekend with someone who uh, was told, you know, hey, they can get this great job and make all this money. They're two years away from vesting into their pension. And, you know, the gentleman said, I just can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. And he's right. It almost doesn't make, it doesn't matter how much money he's going to make. It almost doesn't matter um, when you're two years away. But let's say that you're 10 years in and you have another 10 years to go you know, then it's an opportunity cost calculation because, you know, if you're going to receive, call it $2,500 a month in retirement, the way that we calculate what that pension is worth, we would assume that that individual would receive $30,000 a year. They would more than likely in that role be able to access that money at probably 55, you know, maybe 60. Um, we divide that by the interest rate that's needed to produce $30,000 a year. So we would assume that that's a 4% interest rate because they're going to be younger. That money's going to need to last them a long time. If they weren't going to be able to access that pension until say seven, 68, then we might use an interest rate that's say 6% because they don't want, they wouldn't need as much money because their life isn't, wouldn't be as long. But a $30,000 per year pension at age 55 or so, attributing a 4% interest rate to that equates to a $750,000 lump sum. So if an individual has the ability to replace that through working, let's say they're going to go from making $100,000 a year to $300,000 a year, maybe they can replace that $750,000 over the same time period. But it's all about opportunity cost. What are we giving up uh, if we decide to go down this other road? Because once we pick this other road, we don't know what the road is that we didn't pick. So. <laughs> That's that's great advice there. Um, I, I like breaking that down into uh, the calculations. Now, the average person is not going to be able to come up with that calculation on their own. Right. I watched you do the math right here as we're doing the interview yeah. and show me the 750000 That is a benefit of a financial uh, advisor, a financial planner, correct? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, it's just like every other discipline. If somebody was, you know, I have clients that are engineers, for example, um, you know, I can look and I can see a house or a building and, and see whether or not I like it. And I can go on YouTube and I can, you know, understand how that building or, or, or home was built. But the likelihood of me being as successful in designing something that's not going to fall down as a trained engineer, um, it's highly unlikely. Uh, and the same holds true when you're thinking about whether or not to hire uh, or work with a financial planner. Um, and it's just, it's got to be worth it if you make the decision. So in my life, uh, I worked in the entertainment industry for a while, uh, then moved over to teaching, working for the church for a while, doing some of the uh, films and videos for them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my career was never uh, excessive money into my pockets, to be quite honest with people. Yeah. Uh, and so I had the opportunity to sit down with financial advisors and planners in the past, but I found that the cost based upon what I actually made per year made it very prohibitive, but I, I was yeah. able to take the advice 
that they gave. Um, and for me, I, I'm on my third home. Um, I've been able to invest very wisely from some of that advice that I got, but I, I didn't join something long-term. And honestly, my long-term plan is uh, my pension from teaching. It's yeah. it's not a 401k. It's not you know all these other things. So I can relate to the average person that goes, you know what, Greg, a financial planner sounds wonderful, but it's only for rich people. That's all that can afford that. Mm-hmm. Was I living in my own myth back then when I was in my mid-20s, early 30s, when I was thinking that a financial advisor was cost prohibitive uh, for where I was? Who benefits best from someone getting financial advice? Um, because there is a fee involved, obviously, in what you do. Yeah. You're offering your expertise. So I know I noticed on your website, your company has a 99% retention ratio with your clients. Just seeing that means that people are definitely happy and seeing returns on their investments. So with that stated, why at the age of 25 to the age of 30, did I make a mistake by not going with a financial advisor? I'm just curious, yeah. you know, tell me my younger self or the person that's <laughs> listening out there, uh, better advice than I got maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's, it's a tough, it's a tough spot to be because there's, there's some truth to, um, the financial planner or financial planner, financial planner or financial advisor being expensive. Uh, it is expensive. So, you know, the value that is received needs to be worth the fee. Um, and we talk to folks from time to time who may or may not be able to afford our services and they may or may not decide to become a client. Um, the other thing is, is there are a lot of different types of advisors who are out there. There are 875,000 financially related licenses that are held by someone who can have the word financial advisor on their card. Now, these folks could work at New York Life. They could work at PNC Bank. They could work at um, you know, a brokerage house such as a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill Lynch. They could be at an independent firm like mine, where we are catering towards a certain type of client. Um, and we are really advice-driven as opposed to you know some of those other entities and some of those groups are commission driven. So you know it, there's a there's a little spot on the SEC site, the Securities and Exchange Commission website, which says you should have full knowledge of what you need to do uh, and what you are engaging in before you ever hire an advisor to protect yourself. And in many ways, that's quite an oxymoron because that's why you hire an advisor is to um, you know, have that advisor guide you as it relates to what you should be doing with your money, um, as opposed to educating yourself before you hire someone. Um, now, there is probably some truth to that. There are different types of advisors. I think our industry is quite cloudy as it relates to who does what um, and what you get when you go to hire someone. So, you know, if you do go to a bank, there may be a um, an incentive that month or a flavor of the month for the bank's purposes. Um, you know, in a firm like ours, we are completely independent. So we don't have a parent company. We don't deal with any one specific investment company. But because of that, um, we're, I would say, highly trained. And we've got, you know, we've got to utilize a lot of different resources. Um, and therefore, it's, it's 100% advice driven. So um, one thing I would say for, for the general population, um, if you do have access to a retirement plan through your employer, um, here at Blue Rock, we do a number of 401k plans for employers. Um, when we meet with the employees, we let them know, hey, we're certified financial planners. If you have any question whatsoever, whether it's, should I buy this home? 
Should I put this addition on my house? Should I get student loans for my child or should I have them get student loans? What kind of student loans should we get? Um, you know, all these different, you know, financially related questions, which may or may not be tied to your 401k, um, I would start there because that individual is already vested in you at some level um, and finding out whether or not they're willing to ask, answer questions for you is, is very important. Um, so that would be really Greg's step one. And then the other thing is there are um, certified financial planners out there that you can go online and hire to, to build you a plan or to give you advice. Um, again, it isn't cheap. It, it tends to be expensive, but you're getting objective advice at that point, as opposed to someone that may have a vested interest in selling something to receive a commission. So, you know, it, it's a cloudy world. Um, and, and I don't disagree with you that the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to get very good quality advice because the advisor would benefit, the client will benefit, and there will be excessive value in most cases that's received um, by both parties. Yeah, so it's a, a case of you got to have something to, to make something at times. <laughs> and, you know, that that's the world we live in. I, I want to examine um, just a little bit before we end today of how we got here in what, you know, economic um, markers you look at yeah. to figure out, you know, 2022, we look back, we can see COVID. I have a theory that I have been saying on my show, but now that I have an expert, more so somebody that's studying the markets, let's, let's go with it. My theory is that there's no such thing as a free lunch in this country. And when you start giving out stimulus checks, the way that we gave out stimulus checks, especially that you're going to have inflation. It's a simple supply demand. When you pump more of the market with more dollar bills, this fiat currency, it means everybody else is going to increase their prices, knowing that there is more access to funds. It is a simple process to follow. I've seen it in college. I've admissions, you know, how colleges raised rates as free money became available. Uh, car manufacturers have done this for years when there's incentives and rebates coming back, the cost slowly goes up. And this time the cost is going up at a record pace because not only do we have supply chain issues, not only did we have unrest throughout the world, but we also added over a trillion dollars of fake money into the economy. And mm -hmm. when I say fake money, I, I understand it's real money, but we printed it out of thin air, which is why I called it a fiat currency. Um, are those accurate assessments of the markers that we're seeing? Is this all because of COVID in 2020, or is there something else at play uh, that we should have seen coming? I mean, it's a tremendous question. And um, I've been in this industry, as you had noted at the beginning, since 2005. So I've gotten to see quite a bit in the way of ebbs and flows. Um, and I'm going to start at the end, which is where we he where we are now, and I want to go back and then come forward again. So um, you're exactly right. As interest rates rise, the Fed is trying to cool off the economy. They're saying, hey, there's too much money out there. Even as prices rise, you're still spending all your money. Slow down, right? So the housing market's going crazy. The Fed sees that we're willing to pay, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent, maybe more so than what we were willing to pay just three or four years ago. Um, and they're saying this needs to cool off because as prices go up, that dollar becomes less valuable. Sure, your house might may have been worth $350,000 when you bought it, 
And the one that sold down the street most recently may have sold for $600,000. But in reality, that's, that dollar is not the same dollar. Um, and the Fed is saying, hey, you know what? We're going to charge you more on the interest side of things. So we're raising interest rates because we want you to chill. We don't want you to buy as much stuff as you're buying at the prices you're buying it at. Um, and when that happens, the, the purchases that are impacted the most are the larger purchases, the ones that you need a loan for, such as a home or a vehicle. So, you know, that's where we are now. And the Fed is kind of trying to speed up to get in front of it. Um, and it's going to take it's going to take quite a bit to get there. Now, let's go back to when the first stimulus, the first large scale stimulus really hit. Um, and that was 2008. So as a, a financial planner since 2005, I got to see how euphoric people were during that last real estate run and how happy everyone was. And you would go out to bars in 2007 and it was shoulder to shoulder. And all of a sudden in 2008, a year later, you'd go to the same events and there would be 60% of the people there um, because what happened was we had the financial crisis. People got laid off. Um, productivity in companies went through the roof because nobody wanted to tap on their shoulder telling them that it was time for, for them to leave. Um, so it was a really interesting time. Um, and President Obama had to make a decision pretty quickly as it related to putting money into the system, which he did. Um, the bottom of the market, I want to say, was March 9th, March, March 6th, 2000, um, 2009, I believe. And things from there turned around as money got put into the system. And then we had quantitative easing, which is where the Fed is buying bonds, and that is also putting more money into the system. And that really never, um, uh, it really never slowed down until recently. So if you really think about it, we were in, as an advisor sitting across the table from clients in 2011, 2012, 2013. If, if we recall the early part of the 2000s, mortgage rates were 7%. I bought my first house in 2001 and mortgage rates at that time were 7.25%. Now I'm sure there's plenty of folks that are listening to your, to your show that remember rates that were much higher than that. Um, however, you know, 7.25 in, in the early 2000s. And it's pretty much only gone down since then. Well, as rates have gone down, it's allowed us to spend more on principal payments, which has then in turn forced prices up. Um, but I remember 2011, 12, 13, 14, we're saying rates have to go up at some point. We've got to get back to normal. And it never really happened um, because of the fact that, you know, we were able to kind of get out of that stimulus area without seeing what you're describing. Um, which is the increase in inflation. We were all expecting it, but it just kind of, it never really came. Um, and I think that that really has something to do with how bad 2008 was. Um, real estate prices really didn't fully, fully recover until really you know here now, 2021. Um, so it's been a long time coming. And I think that the pandemic wasn't necessarily the catalyst. I think it was just the last shoe to drop. Yeah, I, I worry about, I, I think you're right. I, I, I forgot about the Great Recession of 2007 through 2009, the housing market collapse, predatory lending. Uh, it's not that I forgot about it. I, I, I just, I think I minimized the role of maybe the health of the country over the last decade and a half leading into the pandemic. So yeah. I appreciate where you went with that. Um, and you're correct. Interest rates have been low for a long time. I purchased my first home in 2003. 
I think I was at 5.5%. And my interest rate has gotten lower and lower every <laughs> single time I've taken out a new mortgage yeah. uh, purchasing. And now I believe we're closing in on 5%, but I think the last time I re- did a uh, refinance was a 3.29%. It's like borrowing free money. It was awesome. Um, I have a theory. And I, I, I want to run this by you and for listeners as well. By no means am I a financial advisor. So this is the best question to ask Todd while he's on with me right now. My theory is now is a great time to sell your home and buy a home that's more expensive than what you would normally buy. And the reason I see that is in a recession, when we start to see a devaluing of currency, if you look at the 1980s as kind of a, a prospect of what happened eventually wages have got to catch up to where inflation is. There is going to be a period of hurt here. I I think it might be a prolonged period of hurt, but I personally feel that now's the time that if you take on debt, you might actually be taking on less debt long-term than in previous years. Am I off base on my gut reaction on that? Or is that a, a strong assessment based upon the recessionary markers in your planning? Yeah. Gut, gut reaction is, is correct. So you know, just to kind of give it back in a different way. Greg's saying, purchase a home that maybe is is worth a little bit more right now, get a little bit uncomfortable because a large portion of that payment is interest as it stands today. And you'll be able to refinance that down the road and you won't have as much pain, even though you're also going to be making more as time goes by. Um, I would add just one thing to that. So what we typically see when interest rates rise or Uh, There needs to be a coming together between buyers and sellers. That process doesn't happen quickly. So, you know, for where we sit today, we probably have about another six months, maybe nine before it starts to work itself out where sellers are going to be motivated. Um, They realize that they're not going to get what their neighbor got. They're going to have to come down on their price. Um, The other problem is right now inventory, inventory overall is still relatively low. The reason why it's low is because of the fact that as soon as homes were coming on the market, people were buying them um, immediately, which is, again, part of why we're where we are as it relates to the inflationary terms that we're seeing is the Fed trying to cool that down. And that will happen. Um, so if folks do end up purchasing and, and they're buying at five or six or even maybe seven percent interest rates at some point, it's likely it's likely that as time goes by, we'll see that start to um, you know, come down a bit. And then when they refinance, they'll actually end up in a much better spot and have a higher valued home with a lower outlay per month. And so I have one other clarifying part that maybe I'm wrong. So I heard what you said about refi, but I wasn't even thinking about refinancing as far as making out better. I'm looking at the standpoint of when you have inflation on this level, when like we saw in the 1970s, when you could purchase a home for $19,000. And then the 1980s, homes became more expensive in the wages and jobs. My question I think I want to ask you is, is a million dollars now, 20 years ago, $500,000? Is a million dollars no longer what a million dollars used to be worth? Are we really seeing almost like a 50% reduction of wealth when it comes to the numbers? And do you believe that that will, that's what I'm seeing. And do you believe that that will be reset in a way of wages coming up? Or do you think that this all has to collapse? I think that's really the, the, um, that's what I was trying to get at when I said you could take on more debt right now, because eventually there has got to be an adjustment period in the market that would make your dollar more powerful, which means your debt wasn't as high. 
So, you know, when we we think about that in context, the Fed's goal is to keep inflation low, right? It's to keep it between two and three percent. Um, I think they'd rather like to see it at closer to two percent. Um, but you know, as time goes by and we see inflation where it is today, we then can back into what the dollar was worth X number of years ago based on whatever the interest rate was, right? So we can say, okay, in theory, if the interest rates are, you know, call them 3% last year, um, and we were at a time when rates were right around there for an extended period of time and inflation was around 2% per year, um, you can take the rule of 72 and the rule of 72 divide 72 by the interest rate. And that's how long it takes for the value of that dollar to double. Um, or if you go the other way, how long ago was it that it was half that, that value? Um, and, you know, two divided by 72. Um, can you do quick math? 36. <laughs> 36. Yeah. Sorry. I, my microphone was muted. <laughs> you know, or if it's, you know, 3%, right. If we were seeing 3% inflation, then it would take, you know, the value of the dollar 24 years to double. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that we could look at and say, all right, you know, what, what's actually happening in the market. What you're alluding to is wage growth. Wage growth has been stagnant. Um, and if you look at what wages were in the seventies versus what, like a $19,000 salary or whatever it was in the seventies, um, if you fast forward to today, that number might be, you know, 50, whatever, but you're not buying the same amount of goods and services as you were in the 70s today. Um, so, you know, wage growth is its own animal that we really haven't seen recover from the Great Recession at the level that it really should. So it, that should happen, Greg. We should see wages come back. Um, but you've got a whole employment issue that's out there right now, too. Folks don't really want to work. I think that they found other means to, to satisfy their needs through the pandemic. Um, and we've got a labor shortage, but we don't have a people shortage. Wow. That's a whole other conversation we could unpack it, for an hour. It there, really Todd. is. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot for people to take in today during this conversation. Uh, and I, Todd, I can get you back on here. We can talk a little about the markets and stuff anytime. Uh, maybe maybe if you want to be a guest and talk about what's happening in, in the Fed, quantitative easing, which direction things are going, I'd be happy to have you come back on and share yeah. that with listeners. Uh, in the short term here with this episode, we've been talking about financial advising, financial planning. Uh, Blue Rock Financial Group is the name of Todd's uh, company where he is president. Todd, if somebody wants to get in touch with you after hearing this and follow up and get some advice, uh, how could they reach you? And uh, What's the best way? Yeah, we are on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, our handle is Blue Rock F as in Frank, G as in George. So Blue Rock FG for Blue Rock Financial Group on all those platforms. Um, our website, bluerockfg.com. You know, feel free to reach out at any point. We actually have the ability for uh, folks to get on our client or on our advisors um, schedule directly on the website. So um, we have two locations that are physical and one location that is virtual, which is Zoom can basically meet with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, we've got clients in just about every state as well as in Japan, uh, ironically enough, because there's some military bases over there with some folks that we work with. Um, but you know, it's an interesting time, Greg, and it, it is a time to kind of reorder the house for most folks, most folks and say, you know, okay, you know, let's take stock of where we are and, and make some decisions as it relates to what they should be doing moving forward. So confidence is key. 
Um, we actually have a, a book out as well. Myself and, and one of my coworkers, Carter McClung, wrote a book. It is called Plan with Confidence. It's a financial planning guidebook. It walks you through what we do for clients. Um, if someone wants to do it on their own or they want to follow along when they're working with a planner, um, again, it's called Plan with Confidence, a financial planning guidebook. Uh, it can be found on Amazon. Excellent. It can also, I will post the link to the book as well as your website on the America Out Loud website uh, where this podcast is found as, as well as in the podcast description. I, I also, because trust is of utmost importance to me with my listeners, I want to make sure that I stayed in. And Todd, you can back this up. Todd, I do not have any relationship whatsoever with Blue Rock. I'm not a customer of yours, correct? Not yet. So, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. And so I, no, I just want to tell that the listeners, I don't want them yeah. to think that this was a commercial for blue rock. Cause that's not what I'm here for. But when somebody is on my show and they're giving great advice, I certainly want you to be able to promote yourself. So I am not a, a client of blue rock financial group, no. but I do appreciate Todd as the president coming on. And if you go join them, it, like I don't get a kickback. So this is just an episode today of free, uh, assessments and financial advice of where you should be planning. If something resonated with you today and you're going, you know what? I, I think I do need to have a better plan. I, I'm looking at my finances. Things are tight. Uh, if it's not Blue Rock, at least find somebody that you can trust to uh, handle some of your financial struggles uh, to figure out how to get yourself in a better place, because that is very important, especially right now today in 2022 with a, uh, uh, quite honestly, a political system that continues to spend away and not understand what impact they're having on our economy. Uh, I, I worry about things like the Green New Deal, uh, energy, uh, sustainability, and what that does to our short-term economic growth, our short-term plans. I, I think that it's great long-term to try to find a, a different, better way to sustain our future, but I'm not so sure that... Uh, one of our political parties is thinking the smartest about the short-term impact, especially amidst all this inflation and everything else. But Todd, I just want to say thank you for all the America Out Loud listeners that tuned in today and for my audience here on America Emboldened. I want to say thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your words and what you offer today. And uh, I continue to wish you well on what you're doing and hope that you continue to make people uh, to be financially successful, not just in the short term, but in the long term as well. So thank you, Todd. Yeah, Greg, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, seeing you as well. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, our goal here for, for Blue Rock is to give it all away and hopefully we help somebody. And then at some point, if somebody wants help with implementation, then by all means, um, like Greg said, whether it's us or somebody else, you know, we wish you well. That's it for another episode of America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. If you want to comment about anything that you heard in today's episode, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at RealGregBolden or email me greg at americaembolden.com. Look forward to seeing you guys back here very soon for another episode. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. I appreciate it. Be bold, America. Uh -huh.